0: You're listening to audio from Risen Life Fellowship. If you'd like to learn more about our church or donate to this ministry, please visit RisenLifefellowship.com. Amen. Good morning, church family. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good? Am I on is the I got the Madonna mic on today. You guys hear me? Is it on? Okay. All right. Um, yeah. Good morning. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you all this morning. Um, if you're new here, we've been going over the book of Ecclesiastes, and you know I hope that it's been as edifying and um, beneficial to me or to you as it has been to me to to experience a group teaching model and getting the perspective of the other leaders in our church Um, it's been a blessing to me so i I hope that it's a blessing to you and it's a it's an honor to be with you this morning speaking to you and um, having the opportunity to do that Um, hope everybody's having a good holiday weekend good extended weekend well i guess for some of us um, but yeah we've been in ecclesiastes and Last week, our lead pastor, Josh, um, started the first half of chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes. So, we'll be in Ecclesiastes 3, starting in verse 16 this morning. Um, But just a little recap. Um, We've we've discussed that Ecclesiastes is is a compilation of teachings and observations that um, Solomon has authored, but through the eyes of Kohelet, which is... Uh, translated the teacher or a person uh, who gathers people and the purpose here is uh, a person who gathers for teaching. So Kohelet is a teacher or a preacher and um, the common theme is that the teacher is is going through and grasping everything under the sun and it's, it's Hevel. He's finding Hevel which is Translated, uh, the Hebrew word translated for "heaven" is is like a vapor. It's like you grasp at it, grasp at it, and there's just nothing there. It's it's meaningless, you know, the vanity of it. And we see that the teacher in in pursuit of purpose, and that's the title of our our study is uh, the pursuit of purpose, um, the study of our Ecclesi- of Ecclesiastes. Um, but we see the teacher pursuing this purpose in the world, exploring the world, attempting to satisfy. All desires and scale all these analogous mountains um, that we've discussed. And for example, we've scaled the summits of, of wisdom and of pleasure, and, and they, as they exist under the sun, Kohelet found that they're, they're meaningless. There's, there's vanity, there's just nothing there. And so that leads us to our passage um, this morning. So we'll be starting in chapter 3, verse 16 reading through 4, verse 3. So if you'll stand with me, and we'll read this passage together. So verse 16, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, For there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they are themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward, and the spirit of beast goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Lord, I just, I come to you this morning in uh, and, and thanks for your word and thanks for this congregation. And, and Lord, your word is, is sometimes hard to understand and hard to grasp and hard to apply to our lives, but Lord, I just ask that you give us wisdom, you set ourselves aside, Lord, and you, you pierce our hearts with your word, and you give us wisdom and understanding and remembrance of the good work of your son who died on the cross, Lord, so that we could have everlasting life. Lord, I thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is a uh, peculiar passage, if you haven't already picked up on that. Um, he goes from talking about politics and unrighteousness to death, back to politics and unrighteousness. So we're going to be hopping around the Bible, uh, but it's okay. We're going to get to where we need to be, and it's going to be a good time. So the title of the sermon today is Rising to Glory, as we'll be scaling with Kohelet the mountain of, of justice and righteousness and the mountain of life and, and humanity. And we're going to see what he finds on these mountaintops as he views them under the sun. Um, and so the, the text opens this morning with Kohelet, the teacher, saying uh, something else that I found under the sun, which is an opening for a narrative of, of an, one, another one of these analogous mountaintops. And um, this under the sun we know is not uh, an eternal wisdom or an eternal knowledge. Um, this, uh, this under the sun wisdom um, as we've observed, is not a spiritual wisdom, uh, but it's fleshly and worldly and under the sun rather than being beyond the sun uh, wisdom. And it's best to understand under the sun in this context as not a location, but a condition. Um, under the sun is a condition of the mind and heart and the spirit and that is separated from the Lord, confined to flesh, and leaving an unsatisfiable appetite for purpose and and meaning. And this condition stems from not living in fear of the Lord. And, you know, we cannot endure and we will not endure if we don't live in fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And this is much different than what the world would think or what under the sun wisdom considers. They don't consider the Lord. Now this this fear of the Lord is not a fear of terror, it's not a it's not a being scared of God. It's it's a fear of the Lord in in submissiveness, a respect and and an awareness and embracement of glory, wisdom, and power and sovereignty and love and the faithfulness of the Lord. The fear of the Lord shapes our minds, our intentions, and purpose. And to not have this fear of the Lord is to live life in constant pursuit of meaning, as we see Kohela in, in Ecclesiastes. He's, he's satisfying all of life's desires. He's had everything that you can have under the sun, but he's still in pursuit of meaning. And this is, this is what it's like to live outside of the fear of the Lord. And this leads us to chasing foolishness, selfish ambition, um, unrighteousness, injustice, and, and even death, and not just physical death, but, but spiritual death. And unfortunately, the world does not ultimately fear the Lord, um, as sin has corrupted every crevice and every heart um, of man, leaving us with an inclination to, to serve ourselves and to find pleasure for ourselves. Um, and this lack of the fear of the world or the fear of the Lord and the fallen world um, becomes more real and apparent as we consider today's today's passage. So that leads us to our first point today, that unrighteousness and injustice and, and death are they're unavoidable. They're unavoidable as the state of man and as the state of the world. So looking again at the passage here, we're gonna read, I'm gonna read 16, 17, and then skip down to chapter four again. So moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. So let's skip to chapter 4, verse um, 1 and 2. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power and there was no one to comfort them. So we see here the preacher, Kohelet, is, is climbing the mountain of, of justice and, and righteousness and, and he's finding injustice and he's finding unrighteousness. Um, you know, in, in this place of justice, the preacher found injustice. He even, even the, the halls of justice themselves we see in our world are filled with injustice and and corruption. You know, corrupt courthouses, corrupt judges, corrupt policemen, corrupt management in the workplace, corrupt corporations, you name it, there's corruption there. In in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, On the side of their oppressors there was power. You know, how often do we see the guilty with enough money to wield themselves with lawyers to avoid justice? You know, how often do we see um, positions in government and corporations uh, abusing their power to avoid critique and to avoid punishment? And all of these adversely bring injustice to those who are innocent and deny rights to the innocent, even the right to life most of the time. As, you know, this especially hits home for us today, um, in our culture where roughly a million lives have been lost just from 2015 to 2020 from abortion. And this is not merely a frustration it's like some of the other problems that we read in Ecclesiastes, but this is a manifestation of pure evil. And this is a burden not to just those who think under the sun, but to those that belong to Christ. Like This is this is not okay. This is evil. So furthermore, most of the times, e- to even add on to it, most of the times we're, we're powerless in these situations when we're going up against such corrupt beings and positions of power. We're, we're, we're often just powerless, and there's nothing that we can do. And the frustration expressed by Kohelet in these, these verses is not simply that injustice is done, but that it goes unpunished. You see, the world today will seek justice, but we are just as quick to twist and mutate God-given justice to make it about us. You know, and this is, this is a subjective justice and not an objective justice. You know, we demand this twisted justice sometimes, even if it means denying justice to others in terms of what they need. You know, how, how selfish are we? You know, we see this in the church and in the world. It's it's not just under the sun. It's sin makes no exceptions to who it to who it corrupts. Um, and James lays this out for us. James four verse one and two. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire, and you do not have so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You know, we are just so easily consumed by our flesh and our passions, and from this stem injustice and also unrighteousness. So we see Kohelet also look at unrighteousness. He says, in the place of righteousness, there is unrighteousness, wickedness. And this, is, this should not be so, he says. You know, and we see this as well. You know, how often do we seek comfort in places of righteousness, places of safety, the church, schools, our home life, only to be met with church hurt, school shootings, and abusive home lives. And, you know, hurt from these safe spaces oftentimes hurt the most because you're the most vulnerable and you're the most your heart is just vulnerable, and it's, it's, it can cause long-lasting damage that can take, and you build up walls that can sometimes take years to build down and chisel down with discipleship, even with discipleship from the church. It just You put up these barriers, and it's, it's such an awful thing. And unfortunately, sin enters into these safe spaces through the corrupted heart of man. You know, it seems each week there's a new story in the, the, the church body of America that there's a new scandal or there's been something revealed. And, it's, you know, how unrighteous. Unrighteousness is, is truly unavoidable, even in the places where we're expecting righteousness. And this injustice and unrighteousness hasn't changed since Solomon's day. You know, he would say even then that nothing's new under the sun. And we can say the same thing today. We see just as much rampant unrighteousness and rampant injustice. And that's not going to change until Christ returns, until he comes back. It's, that's what it's going to be, guys. And this brings us to a question that the teacher poses. Um, we're going to be we're, we're making some observations about the text, but we're also going to be answering a couple question, questions that Kohelet brings or asks, and they're still questions that are asked today by the world, and that leads us to our first question is, you know, why is there this injustice in the place of justice? Why is there this unrighteousness in the places of righteousness? And in these safe places where we're expecting good and love and, and righteousness. And you know, the, the world asked the same question in the form of why do good things or bad things happen to good people? And why do good things happen to bad people? You know, the world with an under the sun wisdom can't grasp that. They can't understand that. Like, I, my, I've been good all my life, like, why is this happening to me? <sighs> to, under, to answer this question, we have to define good, <laughs> and we have to understand that there are no good people in, in the absolute sense of the word. Um, Romans chapter three, ten through 12 tells us. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And, and this echoes Psalm 14.3 that says, There is nothing who does good, not even one. I mean, we see it in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And even Solomon, later in chapter 7, Verse 20 says, Surely there is not a righteous man who does good and never sins. Just not going to find it, guys. As humans, we are depraved in our sin. Every part of man, his mind, will, emotions, and flesh have been corrupted by sin. And, And sin isn't an action or decision that we make once we learn what good and evil is. Sin is a result of a symptomatic heart that's fallen and corrupted by sin before we even had a chance. It penetrates the very core of our being so that everything is tainted by sin. So you see that this bad that the world defines it's bad things that happen, is, it becomes self-reflection. It becomes simply an observation of the true human nature. And yes, bad things do happen to good people. And, and good things happen to bad people. But and God uses those bad things for an ultimate lasting good, as stated in Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. You see, we, we are just so far too finite compared to the infinite nature and infinite mind of God in the grand scheme of God's eternal purpose and plan for each of us to fully know how he is using All of the situations in our life, all the bad in our life, all of the good in our life, even that we don't understand. You know, God allows things to happen for a reason. Uh, We cannot deny his total sovereignty. He allows things to happen. And, you know, whether or not we understand the reasons, and oftentimes we don't, we must remember that God is good, he's, he's just, he's loving, he's... He's merciful and completely sovereign, and we can have faith in him and and find hope and find peace in the midst of trials and hurt and grief. So, we've scaled with the teacher this mountain of of righteousness and, and found unrighteousness and injustice. And we've addressed one of his questions you know, these things are undeniable and they're expected by what the human nature actually is. It makes total sense. So looking back at the passage, let's talk about this other mountain that we're going to climb today. Um, so Ecclesiastes let's, and chapter 3, let's start in verse 18. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts. For all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward? And the spirit of beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there's nothing better than that a man should just rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? So we see Kohelet, the preacher now, scaling this mountain of life and, and humanity, and only finding death and mortality. And he makes a few comparisons about beasts and animals and, and humans, and it can be a little tricky on the surface, and it, we don't want to misinterpret those, so let's, let's talk a minute about these claims that the teacher is making here. Um, if, you, if you attended our vacation Bible school um, a couple weeks ago, you would, you would learn from one of the songs that humans are indeed set apart from animals. We are made in the image of God. Um, so let's take a trip to Genesis. Uh, we'll be Genesis chapter 1, 27, and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And furthermore, God specifically gives us dominion over every living thing. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. This seems kind of contradictory to what we're reading here in Ecclesiastes you know, the teacher is making claims like they themselves are, are but beasts, talking about, talking about humans, and that m- man has no advantage over beasts. And it's important to not misinterpret this. It's important to note that this it's not talking about heaven and hell and having a soul. It's not talking about whether your childhood dog is going to be in heaven or gets... Judge and eternally damned okay <laughs> um, he's making the claim that we all go to one place and this place being the ground and this being death. you know we, we've been taught that we have an advantage over animals and in many ways we do we are made um, we're faithfully made in the image of God. we're set apart we are a lot more and in, more intelligent <laughs> than animals we have a consciousness we have a soul, Uh, we can talk, and we have thumbs. At least that covers most of the animals. (laughs) Um, So in many ways, we do have an advantage over animals, but an unavoidable reality is that both animals and humans die and will return to dust. It doesn't matter how many accomplishments you have, how many riches you have, you're going to go to the grave like my childhood dog, Roscoe, <laughs> okay? <laughs> um, and it, we all have a grave waiting for us, and it's, it's unavoidable. And it, it, it grieves me this morning to, that our church family has experienced many passings of loved ones, just in the past couple of months, it, it grieves me. And it grieves me to see them grieving. And, and although death is unavoidable and even expected in some occasions, that doesn't make it any easier. It, it doesn't make it easy. You know, if you belong to Christ this morning, that doesn't mean no more suffering, no more mourning. It doesn't make it easy. And as, as Josh spoke last week, And the the first part of chapter 3 tells us, For everything there is a season. And a time for every matter under heaven. A time to weep. A time to laugh. A time to mourn. And a time to dance. God has a time and purpose for all things. Appointed by God for a, a good and precious purpose. And we, now, we may not be able to understand why or what purpose they're serving in the moment. And we may not even be able to address or resolve or cleanse ourselves of grief immediately. You know, they're, they're gonna, there's going to be a, a little bit of a, a period of your life, a season, where you might be grieving and, you know, but God does understand the good and the purpose and he understands the why and um, we can find rest in the fact that God does understand it and promises a time of comfort Matthew chapter 5 verse 4 where promises comfort blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted Revelation, chapter 21, verses 4 and 5. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things... Have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. You know what inexplicable comfort that is. And that's not a comfort that you can find under the sun. There's such a comfort in embracing the wisdom of God and his plan and purpose in all things. Not only unrighteousness, not only um, injustice and in death and grief and, and persecution. There's a comfort to be found, and we just we have to call on his name and cling to him. That's all he asks of us. So, having climbed these two mountaintops and found only unrighteousness in the place of righteousness, and injustice in the place of justice, and death in the place of life and, um, and humanity, this leads us to our second point this morning, that unrighteousness and, and death share a source. You know, we've talked about how they're, they're inescapable. and unavoidable in our lives as sin has corrupted every heart. And not only the hearts of man, but the the earth. We see death in the earth. And it's, it's, we see it in everything. But we need to understand how they came to be in the first place if we're going to understand their solution this morning. So to fully understand unrighteousness, injustice, and death, we have to go back to where they were created, which is the garden. So Genesis 2, 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. We see that the Lord warned Adam that the penalty for disobedience would be death. He says, you will surely die, Adam. And in Adam's free will, unfortunately, he did not listen to God, um, ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thus birthing sin uh, into the world and into the heart of man. And this is summarized in, in Romans five twelve as well. Um, I like the picture it paints here. Therefore, Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. You see, when when sin entered the world, the DNA of the world and the DNA of man was, was fractured. There was an eternal separation, a spiritual separation and a physical death. And not just human death, but just death as a corruption. As we've talked about how it, it just infects everything. Everything was turned upside down. It was all perfect. It was all gravy. <laughs> but it was turned upside down. And There was this, there was this perfect harmony beca- between God and man and, and animals and life. And there was no death and no unrighteousness then all of a sudden there was death, and there was unrighteousness. And injustice, and unrighteousness, and sin began to creep among the earth. And Adam and Eve slowly began to decay. And eventually were consumed by death, and returned to dust. Just as God had warned so we see the source, and we see that the, the cause is, is death. But we see Kohelet saying, okay, I see this unrighteousness, I see this injustice and death, and the source is, is you know, we're, we're, I know that we're corrupted, but what happens when a man dies? Verse 21 of chapter 3, Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward? In verse 22, he says, no one can bring us back to life after we're dead to tell us what happened after we died. No one can do that. So here we have the second question we're going to address today that Kohelet has is, what happens to a man when he dies? When he gets what's coming to him from the fall? So before we answer that question, let's let's talk a minute about the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament, all right? Um, Up to this point, we've seen the Old Testament um, ask a question, and we'll see the New Testament answer that question. The Old Testament is filled with promises and and prophecies, and the New Testament is, is promises fulfilled. So, to answer this question that Kohelet has, what happens to a man when he dies? How do we know that his spirit goes upward? We can't resurrect anyone to ask them what happens. So, how do we know? What happens to a man when he dies? And this is not a question that's uncommon to our ears in today's culture. And maybe the pinnacle of what hinges, like, people's belief, if they're going to believe or not believe, is, like, understanding what's going to happen when we die or what are their thoughts are. So let's walk through some of the things that the world thinks happens when we die. The first one being nothing. Nothing happens. We just die, and we return to dust, and dust is their final destination, and their consciousness and soul and spirit and, and body just cease to exist, you know, that's, that's pretty hopeless. <laughs> you know, what, what can you have hope in? What is the purpose of your life if you're just but a vapor and then you're done, xed out of the equation forever. You just cease to exist. That's pretty hopeless. There's no, there's not much hopeless or hope that can be found in that or faith. And that's, that's probably why it's, likely the most uncommon claim or belief to think but we also have the idea of reincarnation you know the idea of reincarnation is that you're reincarnated or re-entered into the world as something you know it, it's you know it's not promised that you're gonna be a human you could be a fly you could be a tree you could be a dog um, but the point is that you're you you come back to right all these wrongs that you, you've committed in all of your past lives and, and you're on this endless journey until you've, ru- you've done right all of your wrongs from all of your lives and then you, then you enter into nirvana, you know? But the problem with this is if I'm a reincarnated, reincarnated being and I'm supposed to right the wrongs of my past life, well, I don't remember a past life. How can I ever right a wrong that I don't know exists? And if this is my 500th life, there's something in my second life that's just gotten lost in the trail, and I've, you know, what are the odds that I just fix it or right it out of... And and who's the judge? Who is overseeing this process? You know, who's overseeing it? Who determines when I've righted all my wrongs? You see, that doesn't make sense. I, I don't even know what I did yesterday. And, I, I don't, and especially the sins I committed yesterday, and that's the ones I'm conscious of, you know? I don't know what I did yesterday. How, how am I supposed to know what I did a thousand lives ago? So there's just really no ground in that. Um, there's a lot of just holes. So this brings us to our third conclusion, which is the most popular among the religions, and even some Christians hold this claim And that's when we die, we go to face a god or some kind of a deity. And he whips out a massive scale and says, okay, I'm going to put your good on one side and your bad on the other side. And whichever weighs more, that's going to determine your fate. And this makes even less sense to me than the other two. Because there's no justice system in the world that operates this way. And from an, an eternal perspective, this would make God a wicked God, an unjust God. A- and let's talk about that for a minute. So let's say that you, you're, you're, you've sinned uh, or broke the law. <laughs> let's say you run late to church and you're doing 120 on West Walnut here trying to get to church. and you get pulled over, you, well you're going to jail, okay, you're, you're going 120 in, in Jonesboro, you're going straight to jail. Um, um, <laughs> but you know, when you, when you break the law, you infringe on the lawmakers, and you're in opposition with the lawmakers, and opposition um, and wrath is just, you're, you're standing against them, okay, they are they are your enemy now and when you get to court and you know let's let's make it a little bit more bigger let's say rape and murder you get to the court and the judge says okay rape and murder on this side now let's consider all of your good that you've done alright well you've been you've been kind of a good person you've been Kind of a faithful spouse, you've been a consistent churchgoer and giver and you and you've given here and there to the community. Well, you know, I you know, I think those are pretty good and they kind of outweigh this infraction, so we're just gonna do away with the infraction. Would that be a just judge or a righteous judge to do that? Exactly. I mean, we wouldn't say to a man, you know, apart from the rape and murder, he's a pretty classy guy. You know, we don't say that. We we, we can't say that. And from an eternal perspective, this is just unjust. You know, you have to answer for your sins. And, and this sounds outrageous to us. But how often have we heard the answer, I think God will let me into heaven because I've been a good person. How often have we heard that? I've heard it countless times. If God does not judge the wrong, he is an unjust God. And we've done plenty of wrong. As we've already discussed, unrighteousness and injustice, they're unavoidable, guys. They are unavoidable. Sin is not an action or decision that you make once you become conscious of good and bad. It is a symptom of a fallen heart. There is none that is righteous. No, not one. But what's strange is the person that makes this claim that they can get entry into heaven just on the basis of being good will agree with you that there's no such thing as a perfect person. Do we see how contradictory that is? How can you say, "I will go to heaven because I'm good, but there's no such thing as a perfect person. There is sin and wickedness and righteousness and unrighteousness that needs, to be atoned for that needs to be addressed and there's no amount of good that you can do to wipe that away so as we discussed the new testament answer these answers these questions that the old testament has to take care of the bad side of the scale something has to absorb that wrath our unrighteousness Romans 6:23 For the wages of sin is death. And we're very familiar with this. Kohelet is very familiar with this. That's all he finds. That's all he finds is unrighteousness and um, sin. And and this, this leads us to our third point this morning. And that's unrighteousness and death not only share a source but they share a solution for the wages of sin is death which is not a new concept to us this morning but let's continue reading but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our lord eternal life that is a clear answer guys What happens when we die? Well, it depends. That depends. What's your relationship like with the Lord? Have you professed the name of Christ and accepted Him as your Lord and Savior? If so, you're good to go. You are good to go. But if not, there's a heap of sin and unrighteousness and injustice And corruption that you're going to have to answer for and that needs atonement. And without the ultimate atoner, there's nothing that you can do. The weight of our sin on that side of the scale is removed by the death and sacrifice of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He absorbed it on the cross. How amazing. I mean, it's easy to get desensitized to the cross. But is it, is it impacting your decisions? Is it the first thing you, wake, you, you think about when you wake up in the morning? It's not for me, I'll confess. I want to roll over and go back to bed. <laughs> but it should impact every second of our life. Every step that we take, every word that we say should be the cross. Jesus died for me so that I can live today and live forever. See, when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and stand before God on Judgment Day, He doesn't consider your your sin on the scale if you're in Christ today. He doesn't consider it. You know, our small group that we meet on Thursdays, and we're going through Exodus right now, and... When the angel of the Lord crept into the city of Egypt to smite the firstborn, and when he came to the doorpost of those who had the blood of the lamb on, he didn't go into the house to the people that lived there and weighed out their good deeds, their good and bad deeds. He didn't go into the house. He saw the blood of the lamb and passed over them. On judgment day, God sees only the broken, battered body of Christ who died in your place and says, Child, come to me. Jesus Christ will stand before the Father in your presence and in his presence and say, This one I know. How beautiful that the, the, our Lord Jesus Christ will vouch for us in the presence of the Father. This one I know, Father. How amazing is that? I mean, that is, I hope you feel the weight of that this morning. This one I know, Father. He is mine. He is my child. He is a righteous saint. He is a pillar of the house that we have here. And that's from Matthew 10, 32 and 33, but... That's not all it says. Jesus says, Whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father. This one, God, I do not know. You know, that's, that's a scary thing. <laughs> and, you know, to stand in front of judgment. And in our finite minds, it's, it's hard to comprehend what that will be like standing in front of God. But I know, I want Jesus on my side. <laughs> I want Jesus on my side and I don't to hear those faithful words depart from me I never knew you. And damn to an eternity in hell. That is That's heavy, guys. Heavier than we can fathom. As the teacher says in this passage in 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 chapter 3:17, God will judge the righteous And the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and every work. There will be a day where each person will stand before judgment. On judgment day. And if you're here this morning and and you haven't accepted the Lord as your savior. There is sin that needs atoning. And there is no amount of good That you can do to cover that sin. You know, if you're listening to this or you're here with us, and that's hard for you to hear, you gotta hear it. You gotta hear it. Someone's got to tell you this is the truth. This is what's going to happen when you die. Who can know if a spirit of the man goes upward? I can know. I can know, and I can tell you unless you have been cleaned by the, the blood of Christ, then you've got trouble coming. <laughs> I can tell you. All right? So it's just such an amazing thing. And, and you know, I, I, I'll invite the, the band back up as we um, move into a time of, of invitation And I'll, I'll ask that you, you bow your head with me. Um, if you're here today and you don't know, Christ is your Lord and Savior. I, 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 I'm confident that you're, you're here or you're listening to this for a reason, that you are somewhere in your regeneration process. And you may relate with Kohelet and say, I don't know what happens when I die. I don't understand why bad things happen to good people. Well, I, I hope that you've considered what we've talked about and the answers that we have from the word of God directly. I know it's this world is a, is a fallen world and you may not see the hope directly or it may not be tangible to you. But there is a God who is longing to have a relationship with you and loves you and wants to know you, wants to give you eternal life. You only have to to come to Him and say, God, I have sinned and I need atonement so that on judgment day, I can embrace you and you will embrace me. And for the Christians here today, you know, how do, how do we respond to inevitable death and, and unrighteousness and, and injustice in, the, in these places of righteousness, in these places of justice? You know, these aren't easy things to deal with. Corruption in the government, corruption in the world, the courtroom, corruption in the church. These are hard things, and we need discernment and wisdom. And we're not promised, again, we're not promised an easy life. It's not easy to serve sometimes. But Philippians 1:21 conveniently answers both of these questions for us that Kohelet has. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. To live is Christ. Not only does this mean to glorify Christ with your life, but it also means that we live to serve Christ in the midst of trials, in the midst of unrighteousness, in the midst of injustice, to bring righteousness back to the place of righteousness, to, bl- to bring justice back to the place of justice, where these safe places have been corrupted. And and that means honoring the Lord and serving the church body and talking with your brother and discussing these church hurts and the corruption that may need to be addressed. It means addressing those and that's going to be uncomfortable. Honoring the Lord by serving the church body, being a godly and loving spouse and parent at home, bringing righteousness to your home being a light to your coworkers at the office. Let the love of Christ radiate from your being so that you can show righteousness to a righteous, depraved world. And so that you can stand firm in faith when bad things happen to you and that you don't understand. God understands them. God understands is them. That, is that not enough? We only have to cling to him If you need to spend some time today rekindling that fellowship with the Lord so that your life is centered around Christ instead of yourself and and you can truly say and confidently proclaim, to live is Christ. If you need to rekindle that fellowship and that unity, I ask that you just take some time and pray and, and ask God for strength to submit yourself, your doubt and your own will and submit your anxiety and your grief And pray that he will unify your heart with his word. And if you don't know the Lord today, I ask that you consider what we talked about. You have sin in your life that needs reconciliation. There's no way around it. And the only reconciler is Jesus Christ. Don't leave here today without having that conversation with God. He is available And his arms are open. Don't leave here today without talking to me or Josh in the back or anyone here will will be willing to talk to you. Let us embrace Christ and rise to glory rather than being set down into dust and set down into an eternity in hell. That is so heavy. And just as we found with the teacher in Ecclesiastes, there's no meaning to be found in the world apart from Christ. There's no meaning. So just stop searching today and come to know the Lord and get answers and get satisfaction, true, unending, infinite satisfaction from the perfect and loving God. You come. Take as much time as you need to pray, um, and then we'll close in a time of worship.